0: Okay, here we are, we are live, and I want to share with you an unbelievable idea this week. Not only is it one of my favorite ideas from the Torah, from this week's Torah portion, but it is also very relevant to my life at this moment. For those of you who don't know, my uh, wife just gave birth to our sixth child uh, on Thursday night, a healthy baby boy, and we are preparing tomorrow for the bris. And uh, what's so unique about a Jewish bris is a lot of people called me up and they said, you know, Rabbi, what's the name? And I said, we don't know. <laughs> he said, what do you mean you don't know? I said, well, <laughs> we actually, even if we did know, I wouldn't tell you because we don't reveal the name until the bris. For a boy, a boy gets named at the bris on the eighth day. And a girl, there are different customs. A girl gets named either at the very next Torah reading in synagogue or the next Shabbos or two Shabbos later, there are different customs, but in, typically we reveal the name publicly in a ceremony. And uh, in all honesty, we, have, we still don't know the name of the child because we were 100% certain that it was gonna be a girl. And we'd already figured out a girl's name <laughs> because we have, we have, um, we have bo- two boys, we had two sons, and then we had a daughter. And then we had another two sons. So we were sure it was going to be a pattern. Boy, boy, girl, boy, boy, girl. So we had picked out a girl's name already, but we uh, we were in for a surprise. And uh, it's funny, in last week's Parsha, the first son that Leah gives birth to is named Ruvain. And Ruvain means Ruben. Look, it's a boy. <laughs> so we were thinking that would be a very apropos name, but we, did, we didn't, I don't think that's the name. But anyway, <laughs> um, so... Um, So I want to talk a little bit about the idea of names in the Torah. And what is the significance of names? What's the power of names? Because we believe in Hebrew, you know, your English name is a name. Might have significance to you, but in general, it's a name. A name is a name. And some some English names do come from uh, different languages that do have meaning, but some of them are just sounds that don't mean anything. But in Hebrew, every name is incredibly significant. Because they're based off of Hebrew letters, which have meaning. They're based off of Hebrew letters, which have numerical values, which have meaning. And they're also based off of characters from our past, righteous people that have incredible meaning. And also most Hebrew names are also conjunctions of different words. So the words themselves have meaning. But we're going to see that your Hebrew name is in even Kabbalistically is on a completely different level, has even more power than what we've just mentioned. So let's talk about that together. Okay, you ready? <laughs> okay, and you're muted. Just just so you know, feel free to unmute. You're not being recorded. All right. Okay, so Shakespeare said so uh, so poignantly, "What's in a name?" What's in a name? And and I want to talk about that with you today. What is in a name, really? So this week's parsha is Parshas Vayishlach, which means and he sent. And the parsha begins with Yaakov Jacob on his way back to Israel after 22 years, a 22-year sojourn in Syria where he got married and uh, amassed a wealth and gave birth to the 11 tribes, 11 of the 12 tribes of Israel, 11 sons and a daughter. And this week he's returning to Israel, and he gets news that Esau, his brother, is coming with 400 men. And Yaakov is afraid that Esav is basically going to try to kill him, to take revenge for the blessings of the firstborn that Jacob kind of, uh, with subterfuge, kind of stole in last week's Torah portion. And we discussed perhaps some of the meaning behind that last week, but we could discuss it again at some point. But the point now being is that Yaakov is afraid. And so he sends something called Malachim to Asaph. now what are malach angels so the simple explanation is actually not angels the simple explanation is of, of a malach is that a malach is a messenger ashliach for yishlach yaakov <speaking> malachim <in Hebrew> yaakov sent yishlach means to send ashliach as shliach a messenger and the word malach the, the simple reading is a is a messenger but rashi on the spot the most traditional uh classic commentator on the torah says no it doesn't mean a messenger here it actually means malachim in the um maybe the colloquial sense which means angels angels now i don't like to use the word angel because that elicits in one's mind a a naked baby with wings right that's the christian concept of an angel that is not an angel that's not a malach that's actually Cupid. That comes from Greek mythology. And as we discussed in our last session, we talked about how a lot of the, our image of God comes from Greek mythology because that's where, where the Christians got it. So a malach is not a naked baby with wings. I want to talk to you a little bit of what a malach is. And it's very important because later on in this Parsha, Yaakov has an encounter with a malach. And this is the famous story that everyone, or many people know about which is that Yaakov finds himself isolated from his family. He's preparing for Esav to attack. He prepares in three ways, and this is just important in Jewish history. He prepares by uh, separating his family into two different camps just in case Esav attacks. Then he will not wipe out the entire nation at one time. And so classically, the Jewish people have had to deal with with war and with uh, anti-Semitism and – and for and so we always prepare for the inevitability of, of attack. And the Talmud explains that one of the reasons that the Jewish people are spread out throughout the entire world is so that we can't really be destroyed in at one time. That there will always be Jews somewhere in the world. The second thing he does to prepare is he sends gifts. He tries to bribe Esav to appease Esav, and finally he goes and he prays. So in the process of this separating his family, he gets disconnected and he goes off alone, and he's attacked. By a man, and the Talmud explains that the man that attacks him is an angel, but it's not just any angel. Do you know which angel it is? No. So it is actually um, asov's guardian angel, and the Talmud explains that every nation has an angel that watches over them and protects them. Every nation and every individual, really. In fact, every blade of grass the Talmud says, has an angel that stands next to it and tells it to grow. So what is a Malach, really? A Malach is a spiritual force. It's a spiritual force that comes into the world to do a job. And just like every blade of grass has an angel, and every individual has an angel, every nation has an angel also. And this was the angel of Asaph, But the angel of Asaph was not just any angel. The Talmud tells us that this was actually the force of evil itself. What do I mean by that, so do, does Judaism believe in the devil <laughs> so the the answer is the answer is yes and no. No, we do not believe in a red guy with horns, but we do believe in a force of evil. There is a major difference between our concept of the The devil, so to speak, the force of evil and the Christian concept. The Christian concept is actually one of the most problematic ideas from a Jewish perspective. And this really piggybacks off of our conversation last time. According to Christianity, there is a cosmic battle between God and the devil. There's a force of good, that's God, and there's a force of evil, that's the devil, and they are at war with each other. Why is that the most non-Jewish concept? Duality, right? That's saying that there's two different forces, but Judaism says everything is one. So that means we have to redefine our concept of evil. Okay, and we'll get there in a moment. I want to finish telling the story, and then we'll try to dissect it. So, Yaakov finds himself wrestling with this angel, and it says that the angel was unable to defeat him. So, the the angel hits him in the leg, dislocates his hip. And then the angel says to him, let me go, let me go, because dawn is breaking. And Rashi explains, based again on the Talmud, that the angel says, it's time for me to go up and sing songs of praise to Hashem. The question is why at that moment, suddenly, like they are in the middle of a battle, and the angel says, Tio, time out, I got to go. You know, Why does he have to praise God? And the Medrash, the Talmud, explains that that was the first time that any angel had to go sing praise to God. Or that that angel. Why that moment? What was so unique about that moment? And then the angel says to Yaakov, "What's your name?" And Yaakov says, "Yaakov." And the angel says, "No, your name's not Yaakov anymore. Your name is now Yisra, Israel, because you you fought with God's and you won. So why is his name getting changed suddenly?" What's the significance of the name Yisrael, the name Yaakov? What's with these name changes? We find a lot of name changes in the Torah. Now, then Yaakov says to the angel, what's your name? Now, this is a chutzpah. The angel just asks Yaakov, what's your name? Yaakov says, Yaakov. Then Yaakov says to the angel, what's your name? And you know what the angel says? What do you want to know my name for? And then he blesses him and he disappears. So the whole story doesn't make sense. You know, why does Yaakov want to know his name? Why doesn't he answer? Why does the angel ask Yaakov's name? Why does he bless him? Why does he have to go up and sing praises to God at that moment? What's the significance of this angel, and who is he really? So Rashi tells us something interesting, and we're going to sort of begin to dissect the idea of names and the idea of angels all at the same time. Rashi says that the reason the Malach doesn't answer Yaakov's question about telling him his name is because malachim rashi says do not have a singular name their names are constantly changing based on what based on their mission and rashi earlier in the torah told us that a malach comes into this world to do a single mission as soon as it completes its mission it goes back up so what is a malach? A malach is a spiritual force designed to bring something into the world from the spiritual world into the physical world. And once they complete that mission, they go back up and then they get a new mission and they come back into this world. And the name of the malach represents its mission. Now there are a few malachim who are famous, whose names we all know, and those are called archangels, right? Uh, malachim hasharis, they're ministering angels whose names seemingly are constant. And I think the reason for that is because they have a set role that they keep playing that same role. And that's the Malach Michal, who is the Malach of kindness. And he's actually the ministering angel of the Jewish nation. And it's said that whenever any nations are fighting, it's because really their angels are fighting in the spiritual world. So then there's the Malach Gavril, that's who I'm named after. And he's the Malach of strength. The Malach Rafal is the Malach of healing. But there are also apparently other malachim whose names constantly change based on their mission at that moment. So, in a certain way, we're also similar to malachim because we actually come into this world with a designated purpose. Every human being has a unique purpose in this world. We each have a mission, and what's a proof? That you haven't finished your mission yet how do you know you're alive right as soon as if you're here it means you haven't fulfilled your mission and we do believe that it's possible to have a second mission after you finish your first and according to um but in general we're here with a distinct mission and we've talked about it in previous classes but just just to give you a little taste there are certain clues to figure out what your mission is and I'll just give you a, just a, just a sound bite here. But uh, a, a, according to certain Kabbalistic sources, we have a positive mission and a negative mission. The positive mission is something we have to do, an output, typically described as a mitzvah, a unique mitzvah, a unique positive spiritual energy that we can bring into the world. And we also have a negative uh, tikkun. Something we have to fix within ourselves, a negative character trait, a flaw, something, you know, that we're that, that 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 we have to fix personally and also globally, there's something we can do in the world as as a nation, as a Jewish nation, as as human beings. So we have many different missions. How do you think you figure out your positive mitzvah, the positive output? Ah. Oh. So we'll get the names in a second. We'll get the names in a second. But just before we get the names, one of the ways to figure out the the mitzvah that you're meant to do is what do you think? Excellent. It's the thing that you're most drawn to. The mitzvah that you're most drawn to. And and you know some people feel extra- incredibly Drawn to certain prayers or um, certain positive commandments, like putting on tefillin or uh, giving tzedakah, giving charity. Some people are drawn to a specific type of charity. That for them, they might have gone through a certain challenge in their life, and they feel that they want to give back. You know, someone who wasn't religious who became more religious might want to give support Jewish causes in terms of educational. Out, Jewish outreach. Someone who, you know, suffered from infertility inferti- might want to give to a Jewish charity that helps people have children. Uh, all, all, or, more so, all, even more so, someone who went through a challenge might be drawn to start an organization of their own to help people that are going through that thing. Right. So there are many stories like that, and each person has their own their own thing that that's unique to them. Um, whether it's a concrete mitzvah from the Torah or it's a th- certain trait, like making people happy. Your your thing might be when you go into a room, you make people happy. You light up people's f- days with, a, with your smile. Or maybe, you know, being a parent, maybe just raising children with a certain positivity, that might be your thing. So it's very broad, right? What about the negative thing? How do you figure out the negative trait you're supposed to fix? <laughs> Well, well, we all have a lot of those things, right? How do you figure out what your number one thing is? It's that thing that keeps coming up wherever you go. There it is again. And until you reach a certain level of maturity, like at our age, you know, we might hopefully figured it out. But in early ages, we probably uh, blamed it on everyone else until we realized that it kept happening wherever we went and we realized the common denominator is us. You know, it was, we thought it was first our roommate, we thought it was our parents, then we thought it was our, uh, our girlfriend or our boyfriend and then finally we realized, you know what, it's me. I'm carrying this issue with, her, with me wherever I go. So it's that thing that keeps coming up or the thing that's the hardest for you. If you find that, you know, procrastination is your issue and it's constantly coming up or being stingy and not giving to others, or anger—the thing that's the hardest, the biggest challenge for you. So then that becomes your thing that you have to fix. Okay, but moving, moving right along on our topic. So the the shla, and the truth is this: this this source is a little bit contested, but there is a uh, a pretty old source. It's at least several hundred years old perhaps older, that says that there's a custom to say at the end of Shemona Eser, at the end of praying every day, to say a verse from the Torah that starts with the first letter of your name and ends with the last letter of your name. So, for example, me Gavril. So I'll start with a verse that starts with a Gimel and ends with a Lamed. And if you look in the back of the Siddur, there's a whole list of all the pasukim in the Torah and all the Hebrew names, basically. So you can figure out which one meets fits with yours. So I also say another verse for my middle name, Eitan, Eson. So an Aleph and a Nun it starts with an Aleph. And that's Alech HaShem Ekrav V'Ele Hashem Eschanan. So it starts with an Aleph and ends with a Nun. And then I also say a third verse, which starts with a Gimel for Gavriel and ends with a Nun for Eitan. So it's like my name is made up of two names. So that's, uh, that's, that's an interesting custom. And the the Shla explains the reason for this custom he says, is a segula. It's a uh, kind of like a – I don't know how to translate the word segula. It basically helps you to not forget your name. Why is that important? Uh, have you ever forgotten your name? It never it hasn't happened to me yet. Right. What does it mean don't forget your name? So he says that when you get to the next world, after we leave this world, our soul leaves our body – we go to the next world. So the Talmud explains that it will ask you a number of questions when you arrive in the next world. Did you live an ethical life? Did you learn Torah? Did you, uh, uh, did you have children? There are certain questions the Talmud goes through that will be asked in the next world. But the Shloss says, but there's a first question they're going to ask us. The very first question that's not mentioned in the Talmud is, what's your name? And he says many times, as the soul leaves the body, it forgets who it was, and it forgets its name in this world. So we say a verse every day to remind us what our name is. So when we get to the next world, it will will remember it. Now, what's the significance of that question? Why are they asking us what our name is when we get to the next world? So says the Arizal, the Arizal explains, one of the greatest Kabbalists says, that when parents name their children, they are infused with Ruach HaKodesh, divine inspiration, a taste of prophecy in giving their child a name that manifests that child's destiny. That your name is not just a name. Your English name is just a name. But your Hebrew name, especially your Hebrew name, if you have a Hebrew name, and if you don't have a Hebrew name, don't worry. All hope is not lost. But that your Hebrew name connects to your spiritual source and to your mission in life. That if you can understand the meaning of your Hebrew name, then you can understand the essence of your destiny and your purpose in life. Now, if you don't have a Hebrew name, you actually are blessed with the ability to name yourself in which case you also can be infused with a taste of divine providence in naming yourself. And uh, we're happy to help anyone that wants to choose a Hebrew name for themselves. So what's, you know, the Lubavitcher Rebbe of blessed memory, when people came to him and asked for help naming their child, he refused to give a name because he said the parents have prophecy in naming their child. So I'm not getting involved. There are other Hasidic masters, Hasidic rabbis, who will actually help you name your child. And sometimes there are those that will look at the name and say that's not an appropriate name. And there are different uh, spiritual insight that could, you know, certain righteous people have in seeing certain combinations of letters and the way letters work out. You know, there's a famous story of a um, a Hasidic rabbi. Someone came to a Hasidic rabbi with a name. Some people will go to a rabbi with the name of their child. And the proposed match for that child, the child's uh, about to get engaged and the Rebbe will sometimes look at the names and say, no, this is not appropriate. These people shouldn't be getting married based on certain spiritual energies coming out of these names. So there's a famous story of a Rebbe who lived in, uh, who's from Russia, the Rimnitzer Rebbe, who came to America. Amazing, amazing person. There are countless stories, miraculous, open, miraculous stories of this Rebbe, like incredible stories. Probably the most miraculous is that when he lived in Russia, he used to every day break the ice and go and, and immerse himself in the lake in the mikveh every morning. And when he came out, his feet would stick to the ice and he would have bloody feet every day, and yet he did it every single day. So incredible stories. But one such story is that someone came to him with a name of his daughter and the person that they, they were suggesting for her to, to get married to. And the Rebbe looked at the names and said, this is an unbelievable match. This is the Besher. This is the soulmate. And the daughter did not feel it. And she said, no, I don't want to marry this guy. And they said, but the Rebbe said, it's their soulmate. She said, no, it's not happening. And they called off the engagement or you know, before the engagement, and it didn't happen. And many years later, she ended up getting to a guy get engaged to a guy with the exact same name. Not only his name, but his mother and father's name, identical to the name that they originally brought to the Rebbe. And they showed that to the Rebbe and the Rebbe said, yeah, that's the one I was talking about. <laughs> so, um, so your name represents your mission. And therefore a name is an incredibly important thing. And there are a lot of customs that go into naming a child. And um, right now, my wife and I are you know in that process of figuring it out. We try very hard to name the child after a righteous person after a person who lived a holy life. Uh, we try not to name after someone who passed away at a young age or had a very hard life unless they were killed um what's called al Kiddish Hashem you know in for being Jewish like people who died in the holocaust It's actually supposed to be a very special thing to name after them um, but a name really. Uh, affects the child. Not only does it represent your mission, but it actually has an influence on you. That the person you're named after, your soul now becomes connected to that person. And the Talmud says, going all the way back to the Talmud, that the name of a person affects them. It has an impact on them. So not only do the parents have a, a, a prophecy into figuring out what the child's mission is, but on it also affects the mission of the child. So it's kind of a chicken or an egg type of thing. So, so that's that's one of the ideas of names so our job in life is to figure out our true name and to live in accordance with our true name so who was this angel wrestling with Yaakov so the Talmud tells us this was the angel of Esau but more importantly this was actually the Satan the Satan like I said we don't believe in the red guy with horns but we do believe in Satan who is Satan what is the Satan so the Talmud tells us that the Satan actually has three different jobs. It says the Satan is the accuser. And the word the Satan literally uh, it means to accuse. And it also has another meaning, which I'll share with you in a minute. It's also the Malik Hamavis, the angel of death. And it's also the, the Yetzer Hara, the force of evil within us that pushes us to do the wrong thing. But what's the purpose of the Satan? What's the purpose of evil? And like I said, we don't believe in God versus the devil. So, so who is the Satan really? So the word Lahastin in Hebrew means to impede, means an impediment, a challenge, a challenge. So what's the goal of the Satan? Why does evil exist? Why does evil exist within us and around us in the world? So the answer is is in order to challenge us. Why? Why do we need to be challenged? What do you say? To do good. Because through challenges, that brings out the hidden potential that lies within us. Because with challenges, like when you go to the, when you go to the gym and work out, you have to break muscle in order to build muscle. You have to, and in order to break muscle, you have to have resistance. You have to have pulls in the opposite direction. That is how we grow spiritually as well, is when we're pulled to do the wrong thing and we overcome, that creates greatness within us, that brings out our, our, the best within and helps us to build spiritual muscles. So the Zohar gives an incredible metaphor for the Sutton. And the Zohar says that there was once a king who wanted to test his son, the prince, to find out if he was worthy of becoming the next king. So he hired a woman of ill repute, a harlot, to tempt his son. To see if he would succumb to her temptation. And if he overcame her, so he would be worthy of being the king. So the harlot's job is to do what? To tempt. But who is she really working for? She's working for the king. So what does she really want? (laughs) she she does yes she wants money but she's also a faithful servant of his majesty so really her job is to tempt but what she really wants is for the prince to fail to overcome her sorry she wants the prince to overcome her because she's really working for the king so that's the idea of the 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 force of evil the satan his job is to tempt us to do wrong But he's really working for the one source of all reality, for God, and ultimately his job is to bring out goodness by by enabling us to overcome him. So when we beat him, he wins. When we win, he wins. So, what is his name? What is the the satan's real name? Did you know he also has a name? So just like Gavriel and Michal, so the satan also has a name. His name is Samech Mem Aleph Lamed. Well, it's not usually pronounced. We refer to him usually as the Samech Mem, which is basically pronounced like the English word Sam. Sam Samil is his name. And that really means the word suma in Hebrew means blindness. He is the angel of blindness. His job is to blind you from seeing God. That's the job of the Satan, is to blind you. So let's return to our story. So Yaakov is wrestling with the son of Now, I mean, I'll just share with you an interesting anecdote, a story that I thought of. It's interesting that in America, the... Uh, when my father came to America in 1948 from Czechoslovakia, he, he was sent to a, a Jewish school. And uh, the first person he met when he came over uh, got off, literally off the boat. Literally, they're standing on a street corner, and uh, they, they were greeted by his uncle, his uncle Shmuel, who was known as Uncle Sam. And... Uh, a few years later, when he was, you know, he was just learning English. Uh, maybe a year later, he was in, he was sent to the principal's office, in in the in the yeshiva he was going to, because he he misunderstood some instructions, that were told to him by the teacher or something. I don't remember the whole story. It's written in my father's memoir. It's an amazing amazing book, and he's in the principal's office. He sees a, he sees a, a a photo on the wall of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the president of the time, and he thought it was a picture of his Uncle Sam. And so he started laughing, why is my Uncle Sam on the picture? And the principal comes and he says, why are you laughing at our great president? And he says, that's my Uncle Sam. He said, that's not Uncle Sam. He says, you should be ashamed. There's how he punished my father. But anyway, I always think it's funny that Uncle Sam, who, who is like sort of like the, uh, the, uh, the icon of America, is, has the same name as the Samich Mam, the force of evil. There's a a classic Dr. Seuss book, Green Eggs and Ham, which talks about this guy who doesn't want to uh, eat ham. (laughs) And there's a tempter in the book who's trying to get him to eat ham. You remember what the tempter's name is? Sam I Am. (laughs) And this guy is resisting the temptation. I, I would not, could not in a boat. I will not eat them in a, with a goat. I will not eat green eggs and ham. I will not eat them, Sam. I am. And Sam continues to tempt him. And eventually the guy gives in. So I, I don't know what the meaning of this book is, but I, I came up with a nice metaphor. And I can't remember if Dr. Seuss is actually Jewish. His real name is Theodore something. But uh, Seuss in Hebrew, in Hebrew means horse. So uh, I I came up with the, uh, the idea that this is a metaphor for the Jewish American experience. That the Jews came over from from Europe, and you see this guy Sam, the 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 protagonist is wearing a black hat, and uh, he's reading a book at the beginning. I said that's a copy of the Talmud, and then this American Uncle Sam comes up to him and says, "Come on, eat the ham, eat the ham." And it's not it's not a coincidence that the ham is green, because green represents money, and money is the great temptation of America. You know, there are a lot of Jews when they, when they came over on the boat from uh, Ellis Island, they threw their tefillin. And their, and their sederim into the Hudson River because they said, we don't need this anymore. Now we're American. In America, the streets are paved with gold. In America, on the dollar bill, it says, in God we trust. We have a new God. We don't need the old ways of Judaism. And unfortunately, even the Jews who held on, who tried to hold on to their Judaism uh, in the early American experience, the early 1900s, had to give up, very quickly had to give up keeping Shabbos because it was impossible to get a job and keep Shabbos because Saturday was a work day. And there were Jews who were called the yellow slippers who every day they'd arrive at work on Monday, having kept Shabbos, and they would be given a yellow slip telling them to go find another job, you no longer are employed here. And there are many Jews succumbed to this temptation, to the temptation of money, but there were a few Jews who actually, every single week got a new job. And that's why Jews very quickly gravitated towards self-employment, to being merchants and things like that that now allowed them to keep Shabbos. But the American temptation of Uncle Sam was very hard to fight. So that's my own interpretation of uh, Dr. Seuss's uh, Green Eggs and Ham. But uh, the 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 Samich Mem appears in many ways, and in and, and in many ways in America, the temptation of money became the the God that took us away from from our Judaism. But um, so so let's go back to our story. Yaakov is wrestling with the Samich Mem, the angel of blindness, the force of evil. And the angel is unable to beat Yaakov. Yaakov defeats the Satan. For the first time in history, a human being has actually completely defeated the force of evil. And this angel was none other than Esau's archangel. Why? As we discussed in previous weeks, Esau represents the Western world the antithesis of judaism because esav looks at the world from the external all you are as a body eat drink and make merry for on the morrow we die there's no point investing in spirituality just invest in enjoying the physical esav is the antithesis of yaakov yaakov which represents bringing spirituality into the physical world is literally the dichotomy and For the first time in history, Aesop's angel, the force of evil, is defeated. The Sutton is defeated. And he says to him, let me go because it's my time to sing praises to God. Because what was my purpose in this world was to tempt you. But when do I win? When you beat me. When you beat me, then I go back up and I sing praises to God because my job is finished in this world. Of course, he can come back down and play a different part, get a new name or Continue his mission, but at that moment, we Yaakov won, and Asav had uh, the angel of, of evil had to go up and sing praises to God. So then the angel says, Yaakov, the angel says to Yaakov, "What's your name?" And Yaakov says, "Yaakov." The angel says, "No, your name is not Yaakov anymore, because you beat me. You fulfilled your mission in this world. You completed the mission of Yaakov. What was the mission of Yaakov? So the word Yaakov means, actually denotes crookedness." It means the heal, and the the sources point out that the Kabbalistic verses point out that Yaakov is the word, the letter Yud, which is the letter for spirituality, and the word Akiv, which is heal, which is the, the most insensitive, lowest part of the body. That Yaakov's mission is to bring spirituality into physicality, but it also denotes a certain crookedness. As as we mentioned last week, Yaakov's nature was 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 purity, honesty. He was a simple person, and yet he had to learn. To become a trickster. He had to learn to walk the walk of Aesop and on, to become a trickster so that he too could merit not only his blessings of spirituality but also Aesop's blessings of physicality. He had to learn how to go into the darkness of the physical world. And at this moment, he completed that mission of learning to wrestle with the dark side and he began and got a new mission. And along with that, a new name now his name is Yisrael which denotes straightness as we mentioned wrestling with God and overcoming or royalty of God but now his mission is a different mission now he's the father of the Jewish people the 12 tribes and now begins a new era in the Jewish mission but the Kliyakr says an amazing uh, meaning of the word Yisrael it comes from the word Shura Kel which means to see God. If the, satan, if the satan means blindness of God, to blind you from seeing God, Yisrael means seeing God, learning to see God in every experience, in every moment. And in fact, some sources point out that the reason the angel didn't tell Yaakov his name is because he said you could figure it out on your own. Why? Because Yisrael numerically equals the name Yaakov plus the name satan. If you add those up numerically, you get the name Yisrael. So the Moloch said, just take the name Yisrael, subtract Yaakov from it, and you'll figure out what my name is. <laughs> so, but, but now there's more to the story. So Yaakov gets a new name, a new mission. And then he says to the angel, what's your name? And the angel says, what do you want to know my name for? And we said, why doesn't he tell us his name? So Rashi we said, says because an angel's name is constantly changing. We said another interpretation just now because he said, figure it out for yourself. Just subtract the numerical value of, of Yaakov from Yisrael and you'll figure it out. But there's another interpretation, amazing interpretation, that is brought down by a contemporary Hasidic master living in Brooklyn by the name of Moshe Wolfson, who I'm very, very inspired by everything that he says. And he says as follows, when the angel said, what do you know want to know my name for? He was actually telling Yaakov his name. Because what's the mission of the Samech mam, of the Satan? is to get you to say, what do I need to know my name for? Get you to say, what do I need to know my mission for? Let me just enjoy life. Let me just focus on the physical pleasures of life. Why do I ever have to stop and contemplate the spiritual and figure out who I am and why I'm here? That is the Satan's mission. He answered him. He said, my name is... Quote, unquote, what do you need to know my name for? That's my mission, the angel of blindness, to blind you from your purpose, to blind you from finding your ultimate meaning in life. So why do we have to say those verses at the end of praying? So if we forget our name when we go into the next world, when we're disconnected from the physical, right? So praying is an opportunity of connection to the spiritual it's taking a moment of connecting to our true purpose. That's what we do when we pray. We think about what are my values? What do I want to accomplish today? Who am I really? But if we can forget our name, when we go to the next world, which is the homecoming of returning to who we really are, so all the more so when we go out into our work, a workday of incredible stress and pressures and influences and and, and all sorts of turmoil of a daily, of, of, of the daily grind, all the more so we can forget who we really are as we leave the spiritual uh, oasis of the synagogue prayer service in the morning and go out into the world. So we take a moment every day, not only that we'll remember ourselves, who we really are in the next world, but ultimately that we'll remember who we are today as I go out into my journey in the world, that I'll remember that I'm a messenger, I'm a shliach. I'm a Malach of Hashem. And I just like a Malach has a mission, I also have a mission. And I have to remember to fulfill my mission today and every day of my life so that hopefully when I get to the next world and they ask me, what's your name? What they're really asking is what was your mission? And were you successful in fulfilling your mission? So I wanna conclude with a blessing for all of us that we tap in to a little bit more today than we did yesterday and a little bit tomorrow than we did today into our mission and we come a little bit closer to fulfilling that mission and to revealing the greatness of our true potential and the beauty of the spiritual oneness of God in the world every single day of our life. Wishing you all a beautiful Shabbos and a beautiful life of connecting to yourself and your mission and your purpose. Thank you so much for listening.